Zach, you've been married before. Uh, once. And still are. Uh, thankfully. You had a wedding. I did. August 27th? 22nd. 22nd. Close. That shows you I'm almost close with you. <laughs> that was off the dome. No cheat That cheese. was, yeah. But I was at a wedding today. Good for you. And it wasn't mine. Oh. So no need to... You would have been there. I, I would have been there. Yeah, I think you would have been there if it was my <laughs> wedding. But I was we, at this, we go to a lot of weddings. We do. Yeah. And it's I, the season we're in. That's right. It's Tis the season, Zach. Tis the season. No, that's to for be, a different season. To be married. Yeah, tis la, 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 la. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. <sighs> Follow la, 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 Anyways, I was at this wedding. And it was a great wedding. Right. JC Utash, I'll shout him out. Yeah, former roommate. Hey, Micah, now Utash. Guys, congratulations. Congrats. We lived in the same house as him for a little while. And we're, we, was, he's a great guy. Yeah, I was at his guy. wedding, and it was a great wedding. It was classy. Mm. The pastor didn't talk for too long. Yeah. The food was good. Mm. It was like ripping, pouring rain this, <laughs> the, this morning. Was it, it wasn't outdoors, was it? Uh, it was an outdoor wedding. Mm. And they had like a small kind of like, in case it rains, backup plan. Gotcha. And it was great. It was a beautiful wedding. Yes. But it got me thinking about weddings, Zach. Okay. I've been to a few weddings in my day. Yeah, you're experienced. And there's, there is, I, and everyone's been this guest, but there's one guest at a wedding that undeniably is like, they are the least excited to be there out of everyone. Okay. And I would argue that the younger, like five to seven, maybe even a little younger, four to seven year old cousin Mm. is the worst person to have to be at a wedding. You really think so? There are so many. Here's the deal. A wedding is great for people that want to understand what the flip is going on. Right. Most most seven-year-olds are like, why am I here? Not only that, you're wearing... Let me just go through the list of what a seven-year-old is wearing. I, yeah, I want you to... I want to hear this. One, why am I wearing this uncomfortable shirt with a collar that's choking me? Mm. Obviously, they're not being choked, but that's how it feels. Right. Then I have to wear jeans, gross. I'm a seven-year-old boy, and I want to wear athletic shorts. And typically a bow tie. Guy. Yeah, bow tie. Something they... Your parents just kind of, like, steeze you up a yeah. little bit. And you're not <laughs> meant to be steezed up. Anymore. Right. You're a child. You're right. And so, that's the first problem. Then, there is literally tons of sitting mm. and listening. There's nothing actually entertaining happening. Yep. You just see your cousin that you're like kind of close to up there, and you're like, you look good in the dress, cousin. <laughs> Cuz. Cuzzo. Cuzzo. But where's my coloring book slash iPad right. and headphones nowadays? Cake balls. Any, give it all. Right. Yeah. Give me give me something to like do. So Jeez, not dip. only that, you have to sit through the whole ceremony. Then after the ceremony, you go into the transition time where there's like they're taking pictures and you're just like waiting. Mm-hmm. So everyone that's at the, wait, at the wedding is talking with their friends. Yes. I know the bride and the groom, so I know some people I haven't seen in a while. I'm so excited to see you. This is a fun time for me. Right. It's because I'm 22 years old. <laughs> if I'm seven years old, I'm looking at my sister or brother and I'm like, look, bro, we hang out all the time. Like, yeah. We don't have anything new to happen. talk about. But if I do something foolish, then I'm in trouble. Now right. I'm at a place I hate and I'm also in trouble. Gosh, this is all so coming together for me. <laughs> then not only that, you have to sit with your family at the table for eating. They're having a adult conversation. You don't know what's going on. So then you have these tacos. It's usually food that you probably don't even love. You're like, yeah. can I get some chicken nuggets? Yeah. Zach, a wedding is the worst place for a young child to be. I feel like when you get married one day that you're going to have to fix that. I need by having house. like a bounce house be, chicken oh, nuggets. Can you imagine if I had a bounce house? I think I would be at the bounce house more than anything. Easily. <laughs> Easily. I would be in the bounce house. Me and my bride would be bouncing. Of and course. Then, and then whoever comes by, we say, hey, thanks for coming. Sorry, yes. there's a line. The bounce house. <laughs> you well, can bounce you with can, us. You can do it when we're done. That's where you take this photo booth. Yes. But that, I was just reflecting on because I've been that person. Yeah. Like, you're I, the cute this, little kid. There's this story of me and my dad going to a Catholic wedding when I was five years old. 
nothing against Catholicism or being Catholic, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to their weddings. They get hype. Stereotypically they get hype. long. <laughs> yeah. And so at this wedding, it was very long, very traditional, very a five year old would say boring. Yes, of I'm course. Sh- I don't even know who these people were. It's like my dad's friends, and I literally sat on my bumper. For so long, <laughs> my dad uses it to brag on me how well I was self-controlled as a child. Good for you. Similar to your dog. Yes, when you of can course. Teach him to put the bone down and leave it. Yes, of course. But that's my claim. Zach. That's my thesis. Weddings stink for young people. Here's another thing wrong. I just thought of. I'm, oh, I, I can't prove you wrong. I feel that. <laughs> I know. I could write it. I could write like uh, my dissertation. I think you should. <laughs> Don't bring your five-year-old to weddings. Yeah. Uh, here's another thing I was thinking about. Dance floor opens up. Mm. You're expected. No, you're expected to kind of break the ice. Yeah. You know, because there's oh, always seven year old. Yes. Yes. Because there's always that one like girl that is just girl as in seven year old little girl. Yeah, yeah. This is expected. They kind of want the attention. They, they yeah, like yeah. it. They feed off it. Seven. Yeah. So then they they push you out there with your cute little bow tie. Yeah. And then you're expected to make something happen. To dance with this girl. Well, yes. I don't know. And then you're surrounded by college age to, to I, young I, adults. I might get curb stomped. Yes. You might accident. physically get hurt. Yeah. But also you're embarrassed. Yeah, you are. You are literally here. This is a phrase I've been saying recently is no one cares how the monkey's doing as long as the monkey's dancing. <laughs> and the mo- and you are dance monkey. You're dance, dance monkey. Dance. And you have bad dance moves. Naturally, some some people. I yeah. mean, if you have good dance moves, you you're don't probably have on any Ellen. coordination in your body. And so you can't tell if they're like, they're so cute or they're laughing at your dance moves. Yeah. And you probably don't even know. Yeah. You're like, I just am like kind of dancing, but really I'm just running in circles because I've been sitting for five hours. And I'm passing the time. Yeah. Until I can leave. And then like you can't get, you see this cake. There's literally this massive cake. Probably the biggest <laughs> you cake you've ever seen it. for literally hours sitting yeah. there. And you're like, yeah. why are we not eating this cake? God. I'm like sitting here watching adults talk and there's cake. Can I get some? Your mom's like, we need to wait. You're like, why? Mom? Yeah. Jesus. There are so many weddings were not designed for young people. Yeah. And I I just think that there needs to be someone that talks to the, the wedding planner committee. Yeah. And says, we need to have a childcare option or something of the like. I, I think that's I think people just need to be aware of that. And I'm so thankful that you are willing to speak the get truth. A, get a pin the tail on the donkey going. Something. A cornhole board Something. even. Something. Water slide. That'd be sweet. Oh, slip and slide. Slip and slide. Mm. There's so many creative things you can do to make it fun for the five to seven range. Right. And again, JC and Micah had a beautiful wedding. It was a great wedding. Yeah. I just saw a couple of those unfortunate... Uh, poor children. Catastrophe. What was what, what the catastrophic? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like uh, uh, casualties. It's uh, like a couple unfortunate casualties yeah, <laughs> of a good wedding, yeah. but it just was not designed for them. And again, if you're thinking back to your own wedding right now, you're so probably guilty. I, I did this wrong. We're not mad at you. We're not mad at you. Zach, probably. I. I mean, we were in a big field. There were some hay bales they yeah. played with, but it wasn't intentional. It was there was no intention. I didn't think put about the BB it. guns out, Zach. <laughs> Seven year olds. <laughs> that would not have been smart. Probably not. But again, we're not mad at you. Just think about it when you have kids. Yeah. If you're unmarried, there's hope. Yeah. Uh, allow me to be one person. You are again are a pioneer. Taking my flag in the ground, saying I will not rest <laughs> until. There is joy to be had from seven-year-olds in my wedding. Speaking of being a pioneer, this that could be you, but how is your flossing going? David. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast. We believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Like my team. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Lundberg, here with my co-host, Coop McCullough. Your teeth are looking all 
right, Flaky Goop. McFlosserson. That's what they're calling I thought I'd nowadays. throw that in as something a little looking yeah, forward to. We'll, we'll have an update you, in the, in the next few weeks. Listeners, yeah, I've totally punted on Flossy. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I punted on like the second down, too. It wasn't yeah. even fourth down and I punted. It yeah. was literally... I mean, it was probably a week after that. I was like, yeah. Man, if you haven't listened to the Flossing intro, that is worth a listen. It is. It's worth listening. You should go find it because we have no idea where it is. Speaking of being worth a listen, today's episode, Mm-mm-mm. it is with Mr. Dexter Evans. Dexter is the executive director at Friends of Barack Obama Male Leadership Academy here in Dallas, Texas. Okay. It's an all-boys leadership academy, but it's in the Dallas public schools. That's amazing. So it's like not a charter school. It's not a private school. It is within DISD, but it, it's an option for these young men to go to to learn and to grow one in their leadership and two just to get an education that's amazing so it's a it's a great school and we get to talk a lot about what they do and kind of the the theme of what i wanted to talk to dexter about is what does it take to grow a young man what do young men need to hear? What do they need to do? What do they need to see played out to yeah. be a great leader and to grow up and to be a great man? Did you happen to speak on their experiences at a wedding when they're young? And how that <laughs> just, plays into their leadership not, abilities in the future? I did not, but I feel like that could work its way into the in curriculum. part two, maybe. Yes. Yeah, maybe we'll two, have them back on about back. how a seven-year-old could do a wedding well. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a great episode, and I think a lot of people, if you are raising children or you're working at a camp and you have young boys that you are working with, there's a lot of practical advice that you could take from this episode and yeah. use in their development. So I'm excited to share it with you. Zach, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. Well, here he is, Mr. Dexter Evans. Well, Dexter, it's so nice to meet you. Thank you for being with me. Let me ask you some questions. But first, I want you to start by kind of just introducing yourself. Who are you? What's your story? And how did you get to where you are today? Yeah. Thanks, Zach, for having me here on the Next Generation Leaders Podcast. I am um, excited to talk about my journey, talk about the work that I do and the passions that I have for this work. Um, Again, my name is Dexter Evans. I am a proud proud uh, Michigander. <laughs> I am uh, I born, and, born and raised 18 years in Michigan, and now I am living in Dallas, or rather Fort Worth, um, Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, but I serve as the executive director of Barack Obama Male Leadership Academy. And so the Friends of Barack Obama Male Leadership Academy is a 501c3 charitable foundation that supports the Barack Obama Male Leadership Academy, which is a public leadership magnet school in Dallas Independent School District. So a lot of people confuse um, my work and think we're a charter school or a private school. We are a public school through and through. Um, and one of the, our sort of taglines is that we provide a private school education at a public school price, which is free. Right. Um, and so uh, we are in the southern sector of uh, Dallas, which has historically been marginalized and um, minoritized as a black and brown community. Um, and so we serve sixth through 12th grade boys um, that want to attend our school. Um, we don't have many barriers or much red tape to get into our school, um, but we serve a community that truly needs us. And so yeah. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Uh, my background has been in higher education um, for the most part, my professional background, but overall I've been an educator and I call myself a teacher um, a lot of times um, since the age of 12 years old. Uh, in Michigan, I started my first job as a youth leader in an after-school program 
making 50 bucks a week um, as a yeah. stipend so I could buy Jordans and, uh, <laughs> and um, still to this day buying Jordans. And there you <laughs> go. Teaching. There you go. Um, so I, um, through the years, have been through many various uh, educational uh, and nonprofit professional arenas, um, working, like I said, from 12 years old to 18, working for a group called uh, Pride, which was a parent resource institute for drug-free education. Um, so I was serving as a, as a youth leader there um, until I was about 18, went to college to study er, uh, early childhood education and wound up uh, switching my major to legal studies, but found that I didn't want to go to law school. I wanted to still focus on community development um, and those sorts of work. So eventually began working at Paul Quinn College as the civic engagement coordinator after doing a ton of work, well, um, a ton of just community focused uh, engagement work. So did that for a number of years and then eventually went to the University of Pennsylvania to study um, education, higher education and Africana studies. Um, and here we are after graduation uh, from Penn came back yeah. to Paul Quinn to finish out my, my service there. And now at Friends of Barack Obama Male Leadership Academy. So it's been a journey. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk all about uh, some of the things that we've done throughout the years. Yeah, I love it. I love that you end up back in Dallas because we need you here for the community development side. You mentioned in there, I think it's so interesting. A lot of people think that what y'all are doing in your the academy is a, a private school or a charter school, but it is, it's a public school and it's free. And so what does that look like? Kind of what's the difference? What separates y'all? How, do, how does that work? How are you guys a public school, but it's kind of separate? Uh, what is that relationship like with the local public schools? Sure. Yeah. So, so we're a magnet school, right? We are um, a part of Dallas ISD. And what we do is we serve a population of students that want to attend our school. So anyone in Dallas County, and even we take a few outside of Dallas, uh, the city of Dallas, that want to be a part of our school, um, all they have to do is test. And our test, a lot of school, we, we require 40% um, to come into our school. And then the other part of it is um, you have to sort of demonstrate and elect that you want to be a leader, right? You show your leadership. You've shown your leadership through even elementary school, right? A lot of our guys are coming in fifth grade having experiences. I could tell. I could tell you when I was in fifth grade, I had been. Um, what do you call it? We were a. I was a. Uh, Oh my goodness, what is the name for the safety patrol? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was safety patrol. I was the safety patrol captain in fifth grade, um, fourth and fifth grade, and like had already had sort of these quasi-leadership experiences. Yeah. And so those are the type of young men that we're looking for. And so these young men, they they can apply to the school and they're coming as far as the colony. Okay. Right. We just had we have kids that just had a recruit come from the colony down to the southern sector of Dallas to Oak Cliff to come to school yeah. every single day. And so um, so I think that we're doing something unique. We're doing something special and we're we're we're, we're focused on boys. Right. And focused on boys becoming young men and teaching and and preparing the, the champions of tomorrow uh, for our community. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the kind of intersection of where our missions align, of, of growing the next generation of men who are going to take the torch of, of our country and for y'all, for the city of Dallas and what it's going to look like 
in the future. And you mentioned leadership in there. And I think it is so important that every young boy has those, those sort of leadership abilities, whether it is just safety patrol, whether it's something in the hallway, but from a very young age, learning what it, what does it look like to lead? So in y'all's program, what does the kind of curriculum look like to develop that? What does it look like to develop leaders through the curriculum of y'all's school? Yeah, that's a good question, Zach. So uh, we spend a lot of time focusing on what's next, right? What is, when we're talking about generation next, what what is next for society? Um, one thing that we focus on heavily at BAMLA, um, that's our short name, uh, it's BAMLA, uh, we focus on STEM programming and STEM education, right? We, we've read the studies and we know um, according to McKinsey and company, that by 2030, they're saying that somewhere between 40 million and 70 million jobs are going to be displaced due to AI um, and automation. And so there's a disruption that's coming and the people who will address that disruption are the students that we're preparing at the Obama Academy. And so we're preparing them, we're investing in them um, in, in, in STEM education heavily, um, but also in, in areas that they love as well. And, and, and the world loves like, like the arts. We have a, uh, our presidential jazz band, for instance, is, is a nationally recognized jazz band and our, uh, our choir as well. Our choir has opened up for Michelle Obama when she came to Dallas and, and other places. And so we have, uh, we're, we're preparing our, our, faculty with the tools um, in order to generate the next leaders uh, for tomorrow. So lots of focus on uh, on on robotics and, 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 and engineering and those sorts of things um, to prepare our students for for the for that next wave of the what do you call it um information I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like technology is developing faster than our brains can even fathom Seriously. every day it's kind of scary right think some of the things that they're making whether it's cars or anything like that but it's so interesting to think through having to uh, think through that and develop that because i think even I mean, just public schools in general aren't doing a good enough job preparing the next generation for what's to come and what won't be there and what jobs that your parents have today that may not even be in existence in the future. I think yeah, it's fascinating. A lot, people, a lot of people are going to have to be upskilled. They're going to have to reskill. They're going to have to figure out, OK, my job is obsolete. You know, yeah. I, I, there's there's a machine or a robot or whatever that, that's doing this. There's some sort of artificial intelligence that's doing my job. How do I? reprogram my my professional worth to have you know to have income and those sorts yeah. of things so yeah and that's fascinating and something that you've said before is that Bomla is building better brothers husbands fathers and leaders for our community and i think building those building men if to shorten that for our community is the basis and is the the crux of what y'all are doing there and so as you are developing a young man that's kind of what i want to talk to you about is that uh, if we're talking to business leaders or if we're talking to dads, what does it look like to develop a young man? What does a young man need to hear to become the impactful leader that is going to change a community in the future? What, what, what are those, what are some of those things that you've seen that young men need to hear uh, at the, as they've come through Bamba? Yeah. Well, I'll say firstly, you need to, you need to understand how boys learn. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it's true that 
young men and young women, uh, they they learn differently. Yeah. Um, you know, scientifically, biologically, from you know, neurological stuff that I am not a, <laughs> I'm not an expert in, but neuro, neurologically, uh, you know, from we we learn differently. We're we're a lot more uh, uh, tangible and, and and tactical and those sorts of things. And so we we infuse those things in our curriculum. We we allow our young men, for instance, when we have Lyceum, Lyceum is our morning assembly. Every morning uh, we have speakers that come in and they they right now are virtual, but typically they're on campus um, in front of the young men. Uh, we get our morning announcements about school, but also they get this sort of enrichment uh, from men and women throughout the community uh, that, that just pour into them. And so, one of the things that happens in Lyceum and just probably at any school in assembly, kids get tired. Kids are coming in. It's the first thing they just woke up. <laughs> it's the first yeah. thing in the morning, maybe just ate a good breakfast. One thing that we do at Bomla is we allow our students to get up, stand up, walk around. You know, they're, they're extremely respectful. They understand that there's a speaker in the room, but a lot of places, you know, teachers are told to tell the students to sit down and, and to be quiet and, you know, not, really engage and be still and young men, boys, we like to move. We like to fidget. <laughs> we like to, uh, you know, those sorts of things. And so we allow our students to have the space to, and, and, and to, to grow and to develop in those areas. You can sit on the floor, you can stand up on the wall, those sorts of things, because you're, you're, they're, they're recognizing in themselves that they're getting antsy or they're falling asleep or that type of yeah. thing. Um, additionally, we have, flexible seating in the classroom so we have like the the medicine balls that are you know yeah. they, they can sit on the medicine balls they can sit on the floor we have a think peer share model right and that's when when a teacher is speaking to you probably in a socratic method or those sorts of things you can think about it share with the guys that are at your table or around you near you and then uh and then uh share out right think peer share and so um you get to interact and it's not as much of a, a competitive nature, but more of a collaborative nature. And, and we understand that because men are typically brought up to be extremely competitive, right? And that's mm -hmm. not necessarily healthy. It's, 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 there's a lot of toxic masculinity around um, competitiveness, right? Uh, and, and there's a lot of just naturally that that's in us from, when we were cavemen and hunting, you know, yeah, yeah. Those billions of years, ever, like those things are natural in us. And so we are, we are balancing that out with, with collaboration and how do you work together and, and begin to, you know, really, uh, really um, work together to, to find out and figure out uh, what it is that whatever problem they're trying to solve in class. Mm -hmm. um, Another thing to think about when when it comes to building better brothers and better husbands, better fathers um, and men in general is that uh, we work with kids that are coming from communities that yeah, a lot of these students have never been above I-30. And if you're not from Dallas, I-30 is like the threshold of the, the North versus the South, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's a wealth threshold. Yeah. This is a tale of two cities historically, and we 
you know this, that um, there are a lot of cities across the U.S. that are just like this, where where is it the east or the west or the north or the south? There's just a disparity of what you see. And so one thing that we focus on with our young men is, 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 is exposure, right? We, uh, along with that enrichment, we focus heavily on exposure, um, showing our young men that there is a world outside of, uh, of their, their immediate circle. Um, and so whether that be investing in them to attend uh, national conferences, local conferences, regional, um, or even studying abroad, we have the opportunity to do that through friends, um, through the friends because of the investment that people are making in this school. This, not, this is not something that a lot of public school students see. They don't have the opportunity. A lot of them don't have the opportunity to study abroad and they chip, they truly do. It's the, it's the, it's the funds or, or that sort of thing to, to be able to make that happen. And so that's where friends comes in. That's where our mission comes in to expand ourselves and be repl- a replicable model for other schools and, and communities. Because what we've learned at Friends is that this sort of, so the, the public school disparity is, is real, right? There's a $250,000 disparity that we found at our school through research for what the school can actually provide or the district can actually provide and what the students actually need and or want um, in, a, in a school, right? And parents as, as well want school. So there's, a, there's that, that disparity that we are addressing um, through our daily work at Friends. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, man, it's, it's all about the exposure and, and, that, and, and understanding you know, understanding who men are and who we've always been and how do we play on those uh, idiosyncrasies. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's so important, the exposure part. I want to go back before that and talk about the kind of collaboration versus the competitiveness side. And wanting, especially with young boys, there is that sense of competitiveness is that how can I win? How can I uh, beat this person? If I win, someone must lose. There's kind of that zero-sum game. How do you kind of build that that kind of essence of teamwork and collaboration, because that's a, that's a huge part of if you're sending men out and your goal is to build men for the community, they've got to be men who are collaborative and men who can work with other people. And so what does it look like to kind of build that environment? Yeah. And, and like I said, to, to your point, yes, we want to build sort of a collaborative state of men, but we also acknowledge that Mm -hmm. there is a competitive streak in a lot of guys and, and, yeah. and who we are. And so it's more of a balance and we through what we call our house system. You ever watched Harry Potter? Or- uh, yes, I have. Okay. So I got COVID in January and my wife and I watched all of them <laughs> while we were- Back going. to back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so we just watched them all. So I'm, I'm familiar. Yeah, okay. So we have a house system at, okay. at Bamla and the house system, it's similar to the Harry Potter house system. My wife's a big Harry Potter person. I am not. I watched, I read the first book and didn't read yeah. anything else. Um, <laughs> so in, in, I think Harry Potter, but at Bamla, we have on our crest four different houses, right? And they're represented through 
um, through the four different uh, images. And so you'll see that we have um, a house of decree, a house of justice, house of expedition, and house of alliance. And so these four houses is how we handle discipline pretty much, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the students are from sixth grade to 12th grade, they're distributed into four different houses. And in these houses, they have competitions, right? They are they are competing for points uh, for, yeah. for various uh, prizes and parties and all sorts of things throughout the year. You get demerits, right? If you've been... If you have, uh, you know, if your house average is uh, on tests or various things like that are lower, you get points taken away. You get points added for like, but it helps to balance both the collaborative side because you're a team, right? You're a team. You might be a sixth grader and you might be an 11th grader or a 12th grader, but you're all in house of alliance or your house in house of Mm -hmm. decree, et cetera. But then it balances out with that competitive side. We also do, you know, really tactical things. We do tug of war, right? (laughs) With with the alliances, excuse me, with the the houses, the different alliance and justice, they'll do tug of war against each other or various, um, you know, fun activities that get you outside and, and, and yeah. are competitive too. So um, so we try to do a healthy balance of that. And we try to also get a greater accountability amongst each other, right? You don't want to see your house be the house that has the least amount of points or that sort of thing. And so it helps that you know, 12th or 11th grader, 11th grade, we need to work, you know, work on your character, right? Work yeah. on your grades or those sorts of things so that we can all be, you know, ultimately get you graduation, but get our house points up and those sorts of things. So it's a great, great discipline uh, yeah. behavior management program for us. Yeah, that's a great. I love the the house. I've never thought of. I've seen it at like camps and stuff. Obviously, the camps I grew up going to, but but seeing it in a, in a school environment is a lot less. Uh, it's very different. You see yeah. a lot less. It's very different. But I love the way y'all are doing. It. That's awesome. Um, what about confidence? I was watching a video on y'all's website, and one of the students who was being interviewed was talking about the, one of the biggest differences from when he walked into school and whenever he walked out was the confidence that it instilled in him that he is able to walk out confidently when he's making decisions, whether he's looking for jobs and friendships. What does it look like to instill confidence in a young man? Well, you know, one of the first things is you, if you look good, you feel good, right? Right. Um, We have a dress code at Bamla, right? Mm -hmm. And most of the public schools have a dress code. It's probably a polo shirt, a white polo shirt and some some khakis. Uh, we We step it up a bit. Right. And, and our young men, they appreciate it. They, they embrace it. Our parents embrace it. And so at Bamla, our young men, they wear a jacket, right? Uh, similar to how you're dressed right now, Zach. There's a jacket, has a school's crest on it, um, a tie, and we have a tie system. So our... Uh, our, uh, our by the houses? Kids, no, by oh, okay. grade levels. So our middle gotcha. schoolers, they wear a gray tie. Our high schoolers, they wear a blue tie. Once you get to senior year, it's a, there's a junior 
to senior tie ceremony um, and you get a striped blue and gray tie. Oh my goodness. It's a big deal. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) But, um, but yes, the the dress code, uh, this is something that automatically builds confidence in young men when they're walking around campus and they, they're, they're looking good. They're feeling good. They're, 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 you know, they're acting like the way that they look, which is really good. Um, and yeah, so yeah. Um, that's actually something that we had. I was at Paul Quinn as well as a student at Paul Quinn and an administrator. We had a dress code at Paul Quinn and it literally changed the way that we felt about ourselves when we were preparing for life after college. And that was yeah. the reason for that dress code. Same at Bamla. We're preparing for these young, these young men for life after college. How you prepare yourself. Um, in, in, in settings where, you know, traditional settings where uh, you will need to be uh, looking sharp. And so, yeah. um, so they understand, they know how to tie a tie, you know, they, they mm. how, how, to, uh, how to be prepared to walk into rooms that in spaces that require that of them. And so, um, you know, I, I, I do the same thing. Like I said, I went to yeah. Paul Quinn and I work at Bomla and I wear a suit and tie, but like I just told you, I've been buying Jordan since I was, <laughs> since I was 12 years old. So I know how to do both sides of it. Yeah. <laughs> and you need that. And so that's one of the, that's one of the first yeah. things I think about uh, when I think about confidence. Our, our young men are also in through friends, especially uh, with, college at an early age it's a college going expectation um yeah. the environment is created around that everywhere you look around campus there are college banners the best colleges um in the, in the nation especially banners just all over the place and we invest in these young men the time they come to Bonless campus um in sixth grade up until uh college graduation uh, excuse me, high school graduation, but college graduation as well, because we do have an alumni program and we we invest in and we learn about and we continue to pour into and continue to ask our alumni to come back and they do. Um, so that there there's a readiness, there's a preparedness for um, for career and college after after BOMLA. Um, you know, so our young men, they they are Every year we're sending the full, every single class to college visits and to campuses, except for 2020, obviously. Um, But uh, every other year we're sending them to campuses. We're sending them uh, to summer camps and um, young men can elect to go on special trips by themselves to to interviews and and various things like that to campuses. And so... We spend a lot of time just preparing them for uh, for what life outside of Bamla actually looks like and feels like. And so that when they're ready, they're confident, they're ready to go. It's so true that if you look good, you feel good and you just perform. It, it truly in college or in undergrad, we started wearing suits and ties on test days, like whenever we had big tests, because we we're like, if we, if we look good, we feel good. And if we feel good, we're going to test good. And so it's so true. It, it's such an it easy so way true. to instill confidence in a young man, but also in yourself. 
but if you do look good, you, you feel good about yourself. I, I love that. And I love that. I love that. And I love that with the house, the house system. I think those are two things that, I mean, if you're listening to this and you run a school or a camp or whatever it might be, that's pouring into young leaders are two things that you can really take away from what they're doing at BAMLA and, and the mission that they have. I kind of want to shift the conversation slightly to what does it look like for community leaders to get involved with y'all and to kind of to, to supplement it and help uh, in your mission of building leaders. And you talked about the kind of I-30 divide. And I've seen it in Dallas. And I've seen a lot of pictures and there's maps of just the, the difference between um, the, each side. So what, what does it look like to kind of bridge that gap? How can we build a bridge in between it and that we can have leaders from both sides of I-30 pouring into the young and mi- young and men and women of both sides of I-30 that can develop our, our city to make it one whole uh, place that is full of just prosperity, full of happy people who are, who are just getting along, working together and building that collaborative goal. What, what does that look like for you? Yeah. That's a, uh, that is that's a big, a that's a big and loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> it's, it's vision, Zach. Um, you know, I, I experienced that in an undergrad. I experienced the divide real, uh, the real divide for myself for the first time when I moved to Dallas and I moved to the Southern sector um, near Paul Quinn College in a, in a very, um, impoverished neighborhood. I think the the median income was about nineteen thousand dollars a year. Um, a very elderly community, um, very black and uh, brown community. And I, I, um, I, I moved to Dallas because I, it was the land of opportunity for me. I thought yeah. it was the city of dreams, right? From where I was coming from, growing up in the projects in Michigan and in the ghettos of uh, Muskegon, Michigan, near Lake Michigan, it was. It was tough. And, and I came here for a visit for three days and I wound up staying for two weeks, um, fell in love with it. I fell in love with the city, fell in love with the college, Falkland College, fell in love with the church that I was um, that I attended three times within that two weeks I was yeah. here. Um, and yeah. within that two weeks, additionally, I applied for school at Paul Quinn, applied for an apartment and applied for a job. And I got all three. And I was like, mm-hmm this is the land of opportunity like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so what i eventually learned was that as much of an opportunity as i got within that two weeks there was still a strong disparity or divide in the city um mm-hmm. and how i learned it viscerally was uh the through the i am not trash movement uh the we yeah. are not trash movement and you know, just a little bit about that. The city of Dallas wanted to expand the landfill that was about a mile away from Paul Quinn into the largest landfill in the southwestern region of the United States of America. And so um, that was a huge, uh, it was going to be huge landfill, one, yeah. but this, this state was going to be bringing all of its trash to about an, a mile from where I lived. I lived in an apartment yeah. from the school. And you know, there was there was no economic plan. There was uh, very little environmental studies to show that it would be uh, viable for the community that was going to be directly affected. Um, yeah. And so with the city, right, we fought against our city council person who was for it. 
the the, uh, the entire city council, the chamber of commerce. We were at all of these different meetings. We eventually protested and demonstrated outside of city hall. Eventually, having a huge demonstration, marching uh, nearly a thousand people from Oak Cliff to downtown Dallas, and all under the same mantra saying, we are not trash, groceries, not garbage. There was no grocery store in our community, but there was a landfill in our community. you know, stand up Highland Hills. That was the name of the neighborhood. We just, we really fought for it. And um, we still were outvoted seven to six in the city council, but eventually um, months later, actually on my birthday, a couple months later, we uh, we won the fight. This uh, federal judge threw out this, uh, threw out the case and said that they had no impact study, basically what we were saying, to show yeah. that this was going to be viable for the community. Oh. And so what, what I learned in that is is the power of community, right? Because yeah. it wasn't just Paul Quinn College that were out there marching. We pulled the the neighborhood that was to, going to be directly affected into that. And so, um, what I think the city, we as a city, needs to truly embrace is that we are we are one community. We are one Dallas, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think that that is a that takes just true and try conversations um seeing yourself intentionally in spaces that you typically wouldn't be in um i i had dinner in uh preston hollow two weeks ago my wife and i with with um some very wealthy white individuals that are probably 30 years older than us and the conversation was steep it was rich um, there was, you know, we talked about the divide. We talked about, uh, we found similarities. We found uh, uh, dissimilarities. We, we, we really, it was just a conversation. I think that both of the couples um, really weren't expecting, but really needed. And, and it was fruitful. Yeah. And, um, and those are the types of things I think that, that, that bridged the gap. When, when I see uh, Bamla, for instance, we have a board that is that is sold. They are they're solid to the mission of Bamla. And a few of my board members, for instance, they're connected to Bamla, all boys academy that is a public school that is predominantly black and brown because they either went to or they have children that went to St. Mark's, right? And mm-hmm. St. Mark's is a private, predominantly white. Um, all boys school in Dallas and one of the best all boys schools in the nation. And so what they, what they know though, is the commonality, the similarity in understanding the, the value (laughs) in, in a, in a single gender education, right? They understand the value of single gender education, um, but also understand the disparities in, 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 um, public and private schools, et cetera. And so they, they're putting their energy towards a school like the Obama Academy. Um, and so I think that you have to find your place. You have to find your niche. Um, you know, I think uh, one, one last thing is I think about uh, last summer, right, with George Floyd's murder and, um, and specifically in my community, in the Black community, uh, but I think in communities in general, people were trying to find where do I fit in? 
where where do I fit into all of this? Um, even myself as a person who I can, I just told you a story about myself protesting in the city of Dallas. Yeah, yeah. For the We Are Not Trash thing was a person who did not march or protest for the George Floyd murders. Um, and one would probably ask like, why wouldn't, why weren't you? Yeah, I was about, I was about to ask what, I mean, I'm, I'm not against it or for it or anything, but what was your kind of thought? What was your reasoning? I, my reasoning is like, I, I felt like I had a different avenue for that, for, for racial injustice in particular. Yeah. Um, there's a different avenue for me in that sector, in that, in that, in that realm. And so I, I'm a fundraiser, um, truly by, by nature and community builder by, by heart. And so there was a, there was a route for me in that to find funds to solicit, you know, people with funds to find funds to then steward organizations or people that, um, could directly use that that were um, that were experiencing uh, racial inequity, and so I had to fi- find and channel my energy into that into that area, rather than necess- than than being out on the front lines. Which I'm proud of those people who were um, for standing up for what they believed in. Um, but I had to find my route and stand up how I believe in, it. and so that's kind of where um, I found myself in that. So I think that we all have a place and it just it, t- it takes community. Um, it takes understanding that you're a part of a larger community and, and really diving into what that means and being a part of it. So, yeah. I love what you said in there. There's the mantra, one Dallas. I mean, we were one city, one Dallas. What, what, doesn't matter what side of I-30 you live on. You are you live in Dallas and you should be proud of that. And you should be proud of everyone that lives there. And I think it's um, it's so sad to see that. And it's sad to see the public school system fail people. But I'm, I'm happy and proud of what y'all are doing there to develop leaders. And I think it is so important that you can put as much money into any part of Dallas as you can. But if you're not building the people there and if you're not building the young men and women who are going to take over it's not going to do anything you know and so i really applaud what you guys are doing down there um, to do that and so i think it's so important but i just want to know like if you were to sit in a room and say you're in preston hollow talking with which preston hollow is just it's just a different place I, that's nothing i've ever been around either but uh talking to somebody it's a business leader what are you telling that person to get them involved with what you're doing or developing either south dallas or uh just uh, i mean people from the black and brown community um what are you telling that person you know uh one of the first things i'm telling them is my story right i'm i'm starting with who i am uh, yeah. and where where i've come from and setting a level, uh, uh, sort of leveling out who the people that I serve, the young men specifically that I serve, who they can be mm-hmm. with investment, with with whether that whether that is mentorship, um, whether that is um, educational investment, um, whether that is um, exposure. I'm just I'm I'm that's the first place I'm starting, Zach is. Um, I'm a poor kid, single mother, grew up in the projects and became the first person in my undergraduate's history, in Falkland's history, to attend an Ivy League and graduate from an Ivy League. Like, yeah. that's 
that's where I'm starting, um, you know, and, and that I think helps people understand that, um, you know, it's not necessarily where, where you've been, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's where you're going. It's, it's here. It's where, where you plan on going um, and what you plan on doing with it. And so um, I'm starting there. And then I just, I speak to, um, I speak to our vision, right? What, what would the world look like if, um, you know, if, all of the, let's say, because, you know, in a fundraising world, you typically speaking about funds or investments. So if all the money in the city is sitting in this one pot and yeah. everyone else is starving, trying to eat out of this pot, you know, I'm talking about that, uh, that vision of what does that look like uh, when, when you're taking that investment and you're, you're spreading that into pockets of the community that, that need it probably the most right um i think that people naturally have a good will uh, when when you when that does happen um and, and i don't think that it's one of those things where you just you're just giving away money i see it as an investment you have to figure out how you are pouring into to what you just said i think in your last comment how you are literally pouring into the, the minds of people and shaping and shifting what that looks like so that they can then um, do the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, so those are just two of the things that I'm, yeah. I'm talking about in, in conversations. And um, I think that people usually find themselves in a place where they, they are trying to figure out at the end of conversations with me, how they can invest or how they can help or how they can be of service. But I also want to be of service to them. Right. And yeah. I think that um, a lot of people try to assume they're like, oh, you're already doing a good work. And I'm like, no, I think that there is a mutual beneficial relationship that should happen. Um, yeah. And so um, I try to find ways to be to be of service as well. Mm, that's amazing. And truly, and a lot of times I think people think that money is the end all be all and money is what is going to change everything in every, whether it's disparity, but it's really just the development of people. And if you're developing young men who, who are collaborative, they, they, they're confident. I mean, they can make a huge difference and a huge impact as leaders in the future. So I love what you guys are doing and would love to be a part in any way we can and in any way that you can as well. But I want to ask you one more question as we end is what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? If you look back, Dexter's at Paul Quinn college, what advice are you giving to yourself? 20 years old. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm listening to that advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the first step advice. Start listening. Oh my goodness. Zach, that's such a hard question. <laughs> uh, I know. I know. What, what, what advice am I giving my 20 year old self? Um, there was some advice that my grandmother gave me yeah. and that's typically the uh, best advice you get. <laughs> seriously, grandma. It seriously is. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll say this, I thought about it a lot when I was 18, 19, 20 going through college. Um, and I think it was important for me at the time. And I, and I'll say what, take this and I'll explain it. So my mm -hmm. grandmother told me when I left for college to be selfish, right? And 
she meant she meant well by that. And I and I understood what she meant by that. Um, and it was a selfishness to take care of myself so that I could do good for others. Because there was a, there's a, I think that especially in um, in in my community there are people that want to save and be you know supportive of others to a degree that almost inhibits themselves in their personal or professional growth. And so my grandmother was telling me that at that age. It's a time to be selfish. So she was saying, get your degree, right? Mm. She was telling me, don't fall into um, um, relationships that, are, that, well, that aren't healthy for you, right? Don't become a, a teen father or a young father at that point, right? I mean, and that was something that I had to hear, honestly. Yeah. Like my, for my great grandmother to, up into gen- this generation that I'm in, we we had teen pregnancy. There was it was an ongoing generational cycle of that yeah. um, to the point where I, when I turned 21 years old, my family stood up, giving and clapped for me because I did not have children yet. Right? They were happy. They were excited because I, they felt like my life was on a path. Uh, now my wife and I are expecting our first kid, and I'm. 32 years old. <laughs> Congrats. That's exciting. <laughs> Thanks, That's man. awesome. But it's it just like, she was telling me that you need to take care of yourself. If you're going to be anything for anybody else, mm-hmm. you need yeah. to, you need to, you need to hone in and, and, and be your, be your own man and lead yourself before you can try to even lead others. Mm-hmm. And I took that and I ran with it, Zach, seriously. So um, I would tell my 20 year old self and any other young man that's probably been in shoes near mine um, to be self, be selfish at this time. Take care of yourself. Get all the knowledge that you can. Soak everything up that's around you so that you can eventually uh, pour it out into others in your life. I love it. You got to lead yourself before you can ever expect to lead anyone else. Uh, thank you to your grandmother, first of all, for, for giving us that nugget of wisdom today. Well, Dexter, thank you so much for your time. It was it was a blessing and an honor to speak with you. Most definitely, Zach. I, I really appreciate you. And, and thank you to the audience for listening.